Amen. Well, uh, let's turn in our Bibles this morning. Our sermon is coming from the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, beginning at verse 26. For those of you who are visiting with us, we're very glad to have you. We hope that the Lord is blessing you and that you feel His presence and help. And we are preaching through the book of Hebrews. We've been going through Hebrews for many months. We come to verse 26, and I want to read verse 26 down to verse 39 this morning. We're talking about the subject of persevering in the Lord. How do you run the race with endurance? How do you continue in the faith and not give up, not quit? How do you keep going? Uh, How do you persevere and not lose out to the world or to the flesh or to the devil? That's what the book of Hebrews is concerned about, one of the things that it's concerned about, and we're going to talk about that again this morning in three parts. Let's again ask for help from the Lord. We want to pray, and we always want to depend on the Lord to bring the blessing. It's not the preacher uh, that brings the blessing. It's the Lord who works through the preaching of the Word, and so we want to depend on the Lord. So let's pray in faith and believe Father, we pray this morning that for the sake of Jesus Christ, your Son, you would own your own Word. Lord, your Word is truth. Your Word is inerrant and infallible. And we pray with Jesus, sanctify us by the truth. Strengthen us by the truth. Feed us this morning. Don't let anybody here go away empty. Don't let anybody go away here this morning unfed. But Lord, meet us, feed us, speak to us. Lord, even as you told Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration, listen to the Son. And so we pray that we would hear the voice of the shepherd in the preaching today and that we would know your word and we would all, preacher and congregation alike, follow after you. And we ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Now, our text this morning is Hebrews chapter 10, and I'm beginning to read at verse 26. Listen now to the very Word of God. For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a a public spectacle 
through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet, in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. If he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. Amen. Now, last week, you'll remember, we were talking about, boys and girls, you'll remember the, the old covenant. One of the things that Hebrews is telling us is inferior to life with Jesus Christ today. Now, the old covenant was necessary. We don't want to despise the old covenant because the old covenant was a part of the plan of God. It, it was a part of the training process to prepare the people of God for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But what the book of Hebrews is emphasizing is that now that the Lord Jesus Christ has come in the Son, now that Jesus Christ is, has lived a perfect life and died on the cross and has been raised from the dead, he is telling these Hebraic believers not to return back to the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant was but a shadow. The substance belongs to Jesus Christ. Don't go back to the types of sacrifices found in bulls and calves because in Jesus Christ, you have a far greater sacrifice. You have a far greater covenant, a far greater blood, a far greater priest. Everything is better in Jesus Christ because the old covenant's point was always to point the Old Testament believer to Jesus Christ. Now you have to realize that in the first generation of Christians, we were living in that period of time where you had the Old Covenant operating still alongside the coming of the New Covenant. And so that you could literally see still standing in Jerusalem the Old Covenant temple, at least until AD 70 when the Romans came under Titus and destroyed it. And so it was possible for an Hebraic Christian to have family members who were still going to the temple three times a year, offering the animal sacrifices. You remember how the Apostle Paul even put himself under a vow. He became all things to all men in order that he might win some. Even Paul went back, you remember, to the temple, and that's where the people saw him and had him arrested. And that's where you know Paul's trials really began uh, back during that time. The author of Hebrews is making the point, though, that to, that to go back is to take steps backwards. It's not an improvement, but it is to go backwards here. The old covenant is inferior. And in Jesus Christ, we have it so much better now than the Old Testament believer. And I hope you are as appreciative as I am. 
And I hope all of us together will be even more appreciative of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And you remember how we said four things in conclusion last week. Number one was that you need to draw near to God. In light of what Jesus Christ has done, draw near to Him. He will draw near to you. Number two, he said, the author of Hebrews said, hold fast to your confession. Don't lose your confession in the Lord Jesus Christ. But keep on holding on to the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't let go of Him. Number three, uh, we saw that you were, we were to consider how to encourage fellow believers in Christ. And then number four, that we should not forsake the Lord by forsaking the assembling together of the church. That we should continue steadfastly in the public ministry of the gospel in the church preaching and teaching and worshiping and singing and praying together and taking of the Lord's table together. So that was where we left off last week. Now, what I want to do is finish this chapter, God willing, in three parts with you this morning. Now, we're still talking about persevering. That's kind of the overarching theme that we find in chapter 10 is the need to persevere Last week, the emphasis was because of the superiority of the new covenant. Now, as we move into verses 26 to 39, I want to give you three thoughts here today about how you can go on persevering. Number one, number one is that we be warned against willfully sinning, that we heed the warning that the author is giving us against sinning willfully after receiving the truth in Jesus Christ. So number one, don't go on sinning. That's going to come from verses 26 to 31. The one first way that you can persevere is to quit in sin. Quit willfully continuing in that pattern that you were familiar with as an unbeliever. Verses 26 to 31. Number two, Secondly, remember your past faithfulness and God's faithfulness to you. Number two, remember your past faithfulness and God's faithfulness to you. That's in verses 32 to 35. And then finally, in verses 36 to 39, thirdly, remember that Christ is coming. You're almost to the finish line. Remember, thirdly, that Christ is coming and you are almost to the finish line. These three thoughts to help us run the race with endurance, to persevere here. Now, let's take point number one, verses 26 to 31. Look at your text with me this morning. Verse 26, for if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Now, notice what the author of Hebrews is saying, that Jesus Christ and his death on the cross is the last and final sacrifice. Christ has been sacrificed once and for all, meaning once and forever. There is nothing else coming after the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. All the Old Testament sacrifices were always pointing to Jesus. The bulls, the goats, the calves, 
Everything that was done according to the Levitical law under the Mosaic economy was pointing to Jesus Christ. And now that Jesus Christ has died on that cross and has been raised from the dead, there is no other sacrifice. And so if we are to continue in sin, what are we doing? We are despising the sacrifice of Christ. And therefore, we are in danger of not persevering. And so he says here, remember that there remains no longer a sacrifice for sins after Jesus. All that is left, in verse 27, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. So that if we despise the cross of Jesus Christ, we must always glory in the cross. Always glory in the cross. You know, the cross is, remember what Paul said about the cross? That the cross is foolishness to the Gentiles. The idea of some Palestinian Jew dying on a piece of wood for your eternal salvation, that seems as foolishness to the Greek. And to the Hebrew, it was a stumbling block to their own sense of righteousness, to the obedience of Mosaic law. But to us, what does Paul say? To us, it is life. The cross of Jesus Christ is life unto them who believe. And if they will not receive this Christ and him crucified of whom Paul preaches, there is nothing left. God cannot show any more mercy. God cannot plead with sinners any more than he has in the cross of Christ. You know, people sometimes say, well, I'll believe in God if God would do X. If God would but just fill in the blank, and then I would believe. And do you see what our text is saying? Our text is saying God has done everything in giving us his son. God has manifested his grace, his love, his mercy in the cross of Jesus Christ. Uh, what more would you ask of God than he should send his own eternal son to become a man and live among us, live righteously when we have lived sinfully, to live obediently under the law, and to fulfill that law, and to die according to the curses of that law for sins that he never committed, but we committed, that he should die in that place for us, and we dare ask, oh, but I would believe if he would do more than that for me. There is nothing, if we do not embrace the cross of Jesus Christ, there is nothing but a fearful expectation of judgment. There is no other offer of mercy than that which God gives today. And so, you know, one of the things that I want all here to understand, and those who are watching on your laptop or on your iPad or on your YouTube, you know, to understand that today is the day of salvation for you. If you will believe in the cross of Jesus Christ, in what Christ has done the Bible says that you will be saved. Now, here in Hebrews, we have a group of people who have confessed Jesus Christ to have died for their sins. But for some reason, and maybe it's because of the suffering, notice verse 33 and, and 34, notice here, they were suffering people. So I don't want to 
despise what they've been going through as a church, things that we haven't maybe known. But because of these sufferings, or for maybe even other reasons, they are thinking of forsaking the cross. Remember, there were some who wanted to forsake the cross to submit to circumcision so that they would quit being persecuted. And, and Paul had to say, listen, if you give yourself to circumcision, then you, you are jettisoning the work of Christ on the cross. You're, you are jettisoning the gospel itself if you give in to these Judaizers here. There is no other salvation under heaven but in Jesus Christ. And notice here that Christ today is offering us salvation through the gospel. If we reject this salvation, there is nothing but judgment awaiting. Notice verse 28. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses, that is, if you despised even the Old Testament law, if you had despised the shadows and the types, you died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. If you, if you, if you willfully sinned, against what God had commanded. You died on the testimony of a couple people. Those, you know, in the days of Joshua, who hid uh, the things that were under the band, and they hid them in their tent. And yet, bring that man out and stone him was the command from God, wasn't it? And we have somebody far greater than Moses in Jesus Christ. If they died sinfully and willingly sin, sinning against Moses, then how much severe punishment, look at verse 29, how much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God? Moses said, essentially, I am nothing. You know, Moses told us in Deuteronomy chapter 18, he said, somebody's coming after me that is far greater than me. Somebody is coming. John the Baptist said, there is one coming after me whose thongs on his sandal I am not worthy to untie. If we despise the law of Moses in Moses' day and they were judged, how much more if we play around with sin... while wearing the name of Christ, will we find ourselves under the terrible judgment of God? Jesus warned us, it is not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord, who is saved. There would be some who would call upon the name of the Lord and even do miracles in his name. And yet Jesus would say, I don't know you. Because they continued to play with sin. They despised the blood of Christ, which they themselves preached. How much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified? And notice here, 
Not only is Christ, the second person of the Trinity, abused, but the third person of the Trinity is abused by those who name the name of Jesus and yet continue willfully in sin. Notice he has insulted the Spirit of grace. The Spirit of grace. You know, I remember Al Martin saying, You don't have to have a computer to go to heaven. But you do have to have holiness, gentlemen. Without holiness, we will not see the Lord. If we are going to persevere, we will need to deal with ourselves and put to death by God's grace those things within us that would bring us to ruin if we allowed them to erupt. You know, as I was thinking about this passage, I was thinking about a friend of mine. We knew each other in high school. And she was, she was a Baptist girl. And I was still, at the time, confessing to be a Unitarian. But I was still interested in wanting to know what she knew. And so I had asked, can I go to the Bible study with you sometime? They went to a, a midweek Bible study in somebody's home. And she said, yes. And so we went to the Bible study. Honestly, to this day, I don't really remember what was said in the Bible study. But I knew, looking back, that you know the, the beginnings of the Lord working. I started going to some of the Christian fellowship meetings in high school. And then kind of you know, forgot about it and moved on, went to college. But I went to college with this same friend of mine from high school. We both decided to go to the same school for college. And she majored in religion. And by our sophomore year, by the end of our sophomore year, in the beginning of our junior year, we had diverged paths. I had come to faith in Christ. And she had lost her faith. And she didn't persevere it was sad. I remember we shared a ride from Atlanta to and from Atlanta during a break. I don't remember if it was Christmas break or what. but And we talked about this, the change in both our lives. I remember how sad it was to see her even crying as she confessed that she had lost her faith. There was something sad about it even to her. She, um, she has since died. She had stomach cancer. And, uh, you know, it's sobering to think that the Lord can use people in your life to bring you closer to Christ while they walk away. And um, the author of Hebrews is giving us a warning here. That's you and me too. Except for the grace of God. That's me. That could happen to me. There's no guarantee that just because you're a preacher or a pastor that you can't do the same tragic thing. In fact, we had a minister in our presbytery 
who did that. You can look at his Facebook and you can see him arguing against the very things he used to preach. If we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there's nothing left. What do you want? The blood of the Son of God has been left on that cross. There's nothing greater that could atone for any more sin. And you and I need to realize what it cost Jesus and how terrible a price he paid. Because that's how ugly it is within us. Jesus said it's not what goes into a man that defiles him. It's, it's what's in here that comes out. And that's what we have to deal with in our lives. So that's the hard part of this sermon. Don't go on sinning willfully. Now, it gets a little bit more encouraging here. <laughs> number two, we do need to take that warning seriously. But number two, verses 32 to 35 there's something I find really pastorally interesting here in verse 32. And that is, he, the author says, Remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. You showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. The argument, it seems to be, from my perspective, is this. He's saying, think about all that you've done for the Lord in the past. Isn't that an interesting argument to keep going? Now, I do not for a second think that the... Uh, the author here is saying this so that we can get all self-righteous. But I think essentially what he is saying is, don't you see all that you've done for the Lord in the past? You see all the ways in which you've, you've served the Lord and loved the Lord and loved God's people and served God's people. And, and, and what is that? but evidence of. Is it not, as Paul said, it is not I, but Christ within me? I worked harder than them all, Paul said. You're like, Paul, whoa, did you just lose yourself there for a second? <laughs> but what does Paul do? He says, but is that not evidence of the grace of God? Remember your past, your faithfulness, because in a sense, it's also God's faithfulness working in you. Don't stop running now. Don't quit persevering now. Look, why, why, why run so hard for 23 miles and, 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 you know, give up on those last few miles of the marathon? Look at how far you've come. Look at all that God has done in you. Look at what God has done in your life. Look how God has changed you. Look how you're not the same person you used to be. You remember how impatient you used to be? At small provocations? And now those same provocations God has shown you providentially, those same provocations has come before you, and man, it was like water off the back of a duck. And you realized in that moment, I'm not 
quite the same. I'm not where I want to be, but I am different by God's grace. I have changed. I have borne fruit. There is fruit on my tree. And, and we should be encouraged by that because it's a sign of God's faithfulness. He who began a good work in you will complete it to the day of redemption. You, in speaking here to the Hebraic Christians, you suffered. You were made a public spectacle. You were kicked out of the synagogue. You were kicked out of your family. You were mocked. You were scourged. You lost your job because of your faith in Jesus Christ. Because you wouldn't sacrifice to the idol that your, your guild offered a sacrifice to. And if you didn't offer that sacrifice to the God of your guild, you, you're done economically. You're fired. You were sharers of people who had been arrested and thrown in prison because uh, maybe they were, thought they were undermining the Roman Empire. You showed sympathy to people who were in prison in Jesus Christ. They, they were prisoners for the sake of the gospel. And apparently some of these Hebraic Christians went and visited them and encouraged them and met their needs. And he is saying here, don't lose your confidence now. Having done all that, having suffered all that, Having gone through all of that, now's not the time to quit running. I need to keep moving here to our third point, and that is this. You need to keep persevering also because Christ is coming. You're almost finished. You're almost across the finish line. Look at verse 36 and following. For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. Who is that that is coming? That is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has promised his return. He told the disciples that he was going to be with the Father and that while he was gone, he would send the Spirit but he would come yet again. And when Christ was taken in the ascension up into the clouds, the angel of the Lord said to the disciples, men of Israel, why do you look up? Do you not know that he will come back? The apostle Paul tells us that even as Christ has gone to sit at the right hand of the Father, so he will come, even as lightning flashes from the east to the west. Now we don't know when that will be. And listen, don't, if Jesus in his human nature didn't know, because remember Jesus said in his human nature, not in his deity, but in his human nature, Jesus said, I don't know the day of my return. That is for the Father. The Father has determined that. If he doesn't know, then you don't know, okay? Nor does the guy on the radio. He doesn't know either or the guy on the television who's telling you. Nobody knows. But eschatologically, we know he is coming soon. Now, Peter tells us that there are some who mock us, and they say, well, 
where is Jesus? He's been gone for 2,000 years. And listen, they didn't say that in Peter's day. They said that, you know, he's been gone for 70 years. Where's, where, is your, where is your Lord and Savior? Now, 2,000 years later, he still hasn't returned. But what did Peter say? That's just a sign of his patience. God does not delight in the death of the wicked. He desires men to repent and come and believe on him. But he is coming. And when the last of God's elect are brought savingly into the church, when the fullness of the Gentiles and the conversion of the Jews has been brought to its fullness and all Israel has been saved, then he shall come. The Father will say to the Son, Son, it is time to go and leave your throne and return, not in humiliation though this time, but in power and in glory at the sound of the trumpet with a the, the heavenly host in his train, he will return, bringing about the eschatological new heavens and new earth. He will set the righteous on his right, and he will set the wicked on his left. And he shall judge between the good fish and the bad fish, the sheep and the goat. And he will make that eternal division once and forever, sending the wicked into punishment, and the righteous shall be with him in glory." Notice that he says, for yet in a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. God will not delay one second beyond what is the perfect time. And so what do we see here by the way of this application? He says, quoting here from Habakkuk, my righteous one shall live by faith. As we wait the second coming of Christ, we live by faith. Now, we're coming, God willing, next week to chapter 11, and that's the chapter everybody loves. That's the chapter, if they don't know much about the book of Hebrews, they know about chapter 11. But notice here, the reason we are going to go into chapter 11 is because of these final couple verses in chapter 10. You are supposed to be living by that same faith that Abraham and all the others of God's people in the Old Testament had to live by. All of us had to live with this tension of living without realizing all that has been promised yet. All of us have to live with that reality. And what Hebrews 11 is just simply doing is showing you from the Bible, it's always been this way. Even though we are in the new covenant, in the better covenant, we too still have to persevere by faith and live by faith just as they did in the days of old. And notice here he says, if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But notice this encouraging word. The author says, but we are not of those who shrink back to destruction. We are not those who will shrink back. I trust that is True of us all here today. But we are those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. How is it that I can overcome sin? How is it that I can remember God's faithfulness? How is it that I can wait till his second coming? It is by faith in God. I need faith for all three points of this message I need faith in Christ to break and divorce myself from sin. I need faith 
to remember God's past covenant faithfulness. I need faith to wait upon the return of my Savior in bringing about all the new heavens and the new earth. We walk by faith. It is by faith that we are justified. It is by faith by which we are sanctified. It is by faith by which we persevere. You must have faith in Jesus Christ. And so I speak to you who don't yet maybe have faith in Christ. The message for you is plain, isn't it? Put your faith now in Jesus Christ. Turn from sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will be saved. Look to Jesus Christ. Believe on Jesus Christ. Love Jesus Christ. Take Jesus Christ as your Lord. Take Jesus Christ as your Savior. Take Jesus Christ as your King. Take Jesus Christ as your Word, your Prophet. Take Jesus Christ as your priest who offered himself up on that cross. Take all of them. Take them all. Take his divinity. Take his humanity. Take all his offices. Take him. As he gives himself freely to you, why would you perish? Why would you not take Christ? What is so pleasing, so wonderful in this world that would keep you from Jesus Christ? What would keep you from everlasting life? What would keep you from eternal bliss? But go to Jesus Christ. Pastor, how do I go to Christ? You go by faith. You go by prayer. You go by believing his word. You go by receiving him. And you say, Lord, I am a sinner. I have nothing within me that deserves to go to heaven. I deserve judgment. I deserve wrath. I deserve to be on your left hand. I deserve to hear the words, depart from me. That's what I deserve. But oh God, you have sent your son as a savior and you said that you were friendly towards sinners. You said you were a friend of sinners and I'm a sinner, Lord. Be my friend, Lord. Be my friend. Receive me, Lord. Help me to trust in you. I believe you are who you say you are, Lord. Help my unbelief. Help me to believe you're the Son of God. Help me to believe that your atoning death on the cross really propitiates the wrath of God. Help me to believe that I am righteous in your sight for the righteousness of Jesus Christ imputed to me and received by faith alone. Help me to believe all of this, Lord. Help me, Lord, I pray. You know, if you will pray things like that, if you will call upon the name of the Lord, the Bible says that if you will do that and believe on him from the heart, you will be saved. You know, as all of you know, many of you know, those of you visiting, maybe you don't know, we, I don't ask anybody to walk an aisle. I don't ever ask anybody to raise a hand. But I do ask you to believe in Jesus Christ. I ask you to call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved to believe on him whom God has sent. That is your only hope. That's my only hope. And don't throw all that confidence away. If you will find Jesus Christ, you will find him a, a real rock that you can put your life on and build your life on. You know, Jesus said it this way in the Sermon on the Mount as he was closing the Sermon on the Mount. He said, you know, those who listen to me, speaking of Christ, he said, those who listen to Christ 
They build their house on a rock. But those who do not listen to Christ, they build their house. It's a nice house. It's a huge beach house worth millions of dollars until the day of judgment. And then it's gone. When the storm comes and the judgment comes and the wrath of God comes, those homes, even if they're beautiful homes, luxurious homes, homes that are featured in Wall Street Journal, in the, in the mansion section of the paper, those homes are gone in the day of judgment, in the day of wrath. But if you'll build, even if it's a small home on the rock of Jesus Christ, even if it's a very modest one-room cottage, and you put it on that rock of Jesus Christ, there is no hurricane that will separate you from the love of God. 